Welcome to the Deep Roots at Home podcast. For those of you new here, the Deep Roots at Home website was founded by Jackie in 2011. As a retired RN, longtime homeschooler, past Lyme sufferer with a love of preventative natural medicinals, Jackie has encouraged women for years now. Our desire is to spread truth and important information during these recent deceptive times, as well as the practicals of homemaking and all things beautiful. Whether you are listening in the car, while you're making dinner for your children, or sitting with a relaxing cup of tea, welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to hear more about Jackie's upbringing, her early adulthood, and her marriage, with her testimony which includes her abortion, repentance, and her struggles with infertility. So stay tuned. And welcome to another episode of the Deep Roots at Home podcast. I'm your host, Abby Grace. Since Jackie's testimony begins with her father, and his upbringing, which had a huge effect and impact on Jackie, we begin with his story. This is taken from the blog post, Understanding Dad, His Childhood, The Dutch Resistance, and Finishing Well. My growing up years with my dad were often filled with tension and deep pain. Undoubtedly, my dad suffered from what we now call PTSD, from his harrowing experiences before and during World War II. He grew up the oldest of eight, in an era of rigid, strict expectations for children, and eldest sons particularly. There were also the financial pressures from the Dutch Great Depression and workers' riots, numerous fascist movements emerging, and undercurrents of war across the continent. But thankfully, because I clearly saw failings in myself, there was a desire to better understand my dad. Going back to visit my father's home in the Netherlands, Holland, after his death, was surely a part of the healing that I had longed for. This story is the story of many, no matter what era we live in time. When we dig deeply to find the answers of who our fathers were and why, sometimes those answers unbelievably tell us about ourselves and our Heavenly Father. As Psalm 143 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. After my dad went to be with the Lord in 2010, our family, my husband, myself, and our teenage children went to his home country of of Holland to walk the paths he biked, see his childhood home, and for me to revisit some of the places I spent time as a girl of 11. As we all must make sense of the things in our lives, I continue to ponder all that dad gave our family in the way of a heritage, both the good and the not so good. First, let's look at the house my dad grew up in, my father's boyhood home in Uboxburg, Holland, reflects the style of dwellings in that part of the country. If you go to Jackie's original post, you will see a picture of now and then. My dad is with his mother and the next two oldest in 1927, which was the release of Adolf Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, was 1923. Back then, Uboxburg was a rural village with a church, a few stores, and a small bank. It was here that the expanding family of eight children grew all their own food, raised geese, chickens, and a pig for meat, had a cow for milk, grew flowers for the table, 
kept a small stable, and ran a small vintner business bottling and selling wine in the brick cellar. Everyone drank wine because they couldn't trust the water. Water is for bathing, said my father. But it was my father's relationship with his dad that holds the key to my dad's relationship with me and my siblings, as it often does. I've come to know that my grandfather could be a demanding, austere man. Since my father was the oldest son, he was expected to make something of himself to carry the family name. They urged him to go to seminary, but he was caught smoking cigarettes after he was enrolled and expelled, deeply disappointing them. They called him the black sheep of the family. He left home at 17 and became active in the underground network as threats of war pushed across Europe. Next, we'll look at the war years, courage, providence, and escape. Through the years, I've been able to hear bits and pieces of the many incredible stories of my father's early years after leaving home. His fascinating story, or rather multiple stories, are what page turners are made out of, but I share only a few snippets. The daring stories my mom unfolded to us when my father couldn't talk about the past spoke beautifully of God's care directing the lives of men in the midst of great evil and danger. My father also made lifelong friends with those who lived through it. Five of these men were like brothers, and they wrote to each other until they died. In the ensuing years, we learned details about my father's service in the Dutch and French underground. He spent several months in a jail after he was caught, and several years in a prisoner-of-war camp, Citadel of Besicon where he was the only one in the group of his friends who was not shot by firing squad. We sat spellbound listening to details of Dad's desperate escape from a train en route to another POW camp and the injuries he sustained as he jumped that train as it left the station. His life was saved by Madame Zaire and her trusted underground resistance connections. As a young woman, Madame Zaire was the personal secretary to a German general. Her life was extremely dangerous because she was really an allied spy helping Dutch servicemen escape. She falsified their papers and connected them with resistance people who could get them out of France and then on to America through Spain or Switzerland. Once in America, Dad joined the Royal Netherlands Air Force for training as a navigator in Jackson, Mississippi. It so happened the Dutch were also fighting a war of their own in the Dutch East Indies and Dad was sent to Borneo to be stationed there for a time. God's hand was at work all along the way guiding my father and placing him with just the right people at the right place and time. The Lord used every event to shape him as a man, including my grandmother's prayers for him. Just knowing Dad's difficult past has given me a different perspective and a greater ability to forgive. How my dad must have bled under the sharp, critical tongue of his father. How hard it must have been for him to trust a heavenly father, if that's what fathers are like. How hard to not know stability in a constantly shifting world at war. My father's civilian work at the time I was born was of a military nature, helping in the Cold War effort, sonar, and locking on radar devices for heat-seeking missiles. He held only two patents that were unclassified, and the rest are still classified to this day. But God did a miracle. And we will talk about that in just a minute.
it's no secret that Jackie absolutely loves TRS. Here is another fantastic testimony. Our three-year-old has been so much more affectionate and loving. She's autistic and has sensory issues, so her tendency has always been to go off by herself to play, and she would actively avoid social and physical contact. Being incredibly sensitive can be so isolating. I'm delighted to report that after six months of TRS, she's so much more sociable and affectionate. It's astounding. She initiates cuddles, welcomes kisses, hugs her big sister, likes hanging out with her little brother, asks grandma to pick her up, and makes sure she's in the company of family regardless of what she's doing. She wakes up every morning with a huge grin, ready to have fun and play. We are so grateful to see our little girl blossoming and joining the world, wanting connection and affection, making eye contact and sharing laughter. Thank you, TRS. For more information, please go to www.deeprootsathomes.com forward slash TRS. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash TRS. Yes, God did a miracle. After all these years, how I love and miss my dad. I've come to terms with the man he was and with the pain. I choose instead to think on the man he became by the mercy and grace of God. You see, Dad came to know Jesus in his early 70s, and our family watched him gradually become a gentle, more considerate man. We and our children will never forget Opa and the lessons he taught with his life. I praise and thank God my dad finished well. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders, and they will teach you, Deuteronomy 32, 7. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This next post is titled, How My Low Self-Centered View of Myself and Life Harmed Us. Why didn't I value myself or life when I was younger? That's a question I will always ask myself. My low view of life harmed us more than we could have ever known at the time. It took 19 years before we could have a child. The reason was we had not obeyed God's commands before and after marriage, and we suffered consequences that would reach over many years. In some ways, those consequences still continue today, though forgiven. Today, I'm an older mother of three active and involved adults, but... As my husband and I look back over what the Lord has done, we marvel at God's grace and mercy. Our lives would have turned out so differently, and we can't imagine life without these young people. I will tell you the sad story. The early 50s, when we grew up, saw increasing prosperity. After the horrors and hardships of World War II, families in the U.S. were focused on getting that new dishwasher, television, and maybe even two cars. Women were leaving home for the job market in record numbers to have the desired extras. Then in the 60s and 70s, rebellion and, quote, free love on college campuses exploded onto the scene. My parents were totally unprepared to deal with it all, and thus, by default, they didn't. Busy with earning a living, many parents were out of touch with the social pressures their young people faced, the anti-God stance in schools, and the growing fractures between generations. My husband and I both had parents who loved us, but their generation generally did not find it easy, or they were unaware of the need to discuss deeper issues with their young people. 
While on campus, we married ourselves without family or friends in a chapel before God on the IU Bloomington campus. I lived in the frat house from Thursday to Sunday night, eating breakfast donuts from the kitchen and smoking pot in the evening with the rug tucked up to the crack under the door so no one would know. I wore a shiny navy blue trench coat with a lamb's wool collar, tight turtlenecks and hip-hugging bell-bottom jeans. Life was all about partying or cramming for classes and finals. This was not at all abnormal during those years, 69 to 73, in the midst of the sexual revolution, the Vietnam War, Woodstock, and the devaluation of life with the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. Immediately out of nursing school, my boyfriend, now my husband of over 40 years, and I lived together, as did many, but certainly not all of our classmates. We were not inclined to get married, but finally did upon my mother's persistent urging, and much to her relief, so my father wouldn't know. The year again of Roe v. Wade in 1973, we were 21 and 22. Upon graduation as an RN, I worked in open-heart surgery at a large metropolitan hospital. Occasionally, when there was a need for extra personnel in the abortion area of the hospital, I would be called on to assist, as were several other surgical nurses. Even after being raised in a private Christian school environment and calling myself a Christian, I was unable to apply the things I studied in my catechism class to real-life decisions. I was, for all practical purposes, dead in my trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I am ashamed to say that we had an abortion several years into our marriage. We had bought into the worldly views of living for ourselves, careers, money, and things. Two decisions forever changed the direction of my life. One, breaking God's protective commands regarding the sacredness of marriage, having sex before marriage, and two, disregarding the sanctity of life, participating in abortions and having an abortion myself. We also chose to believe the lies we were told so often, that women had rights and the tissue of a pregnancy wasn't a real baby yet anyway. I didn't know it would affect my health, my fertility in years to come, or undermine our own self-respect or our respect for each other. After many years of wasted wandering, God faithfully led us to a solid Bible-believing church, and I finally accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at 31. By this time, I was really suffering emotionally with confusion, post-abortive PTSD, and layers of dread and fear. You can't tell me that abortion doesn't mess you up. I had already had several miscarriages, and I knew there were other things wrong, very wrong, and the pain in my life clamored for my attention. The worst were flashbacks to assisting in a surgical abortion one day at the hospital, where I found a perfect, tiny hand, half the size of a dime, stuck to the side of my gloved hand. It is terrible to remember it. I dropped what I was holding, ran out of the OR, and refused to go back. It has taken years for those scars to heal. I learned the value of human life in a split second. It wasn't tissue to me anymore. It was a real, live baby. Now slowly, my perspective on life and living changed. 
My whole being desired to be a mother, to bring forth new life within our marriage and before God. And we could not. Years went by with several more miscarriages. We did two home studies in order to adopt, one Korean and one local, but the Lord chose to close the doors. These are stories in themselves. Many, many thousands of people at our church and other friends were faithfully praying for us. But I had a ticking clock. After eight years of pursuing medical help to conceive, with Clomid and surgeries for endometriosis, and then four years off, I got a call from a surgeon friend I worked with who told me about a new procedure called GIFT, Gamete Intrafallopian Transfer. I was working nights seven days a week to afford the earlier procedures since insurance wouldn't pay for infertility treatment. I felt the clock ticking the years off my life. After much prayer and many tears, we decided to go ahead with this new procedure. The first GIFT produced two tiny beating hearts seen on an ultrasound at four plus weeks. One was in the wrong fallopian tube, the damaged tube. We had a tubal pregnancy, which is dangerous, but both babies failed to grow. It was so discouraging. Over $11,000 and nothing to show for it except stress and grief and high-level drugs. I was determined to continue since there was a 36% chance in those days of delivering a live baby. We were told there was no other way. I clung to the verses of Isaiah 54, 11 through 15, especially verse 13. The second attempt went perfectly in every way. We had twins. We were so excited. My belly quickly expanded. But in the fourth month, I realized I was not growing in measurement. I was getting smaller. A hastily arranged ultrasound revealed that one of the little lives I carried had died several weeks before. We saw a separate sack with little bones. And we were told our second baby might miscarry too. We were crushed and I was in anguish. I was guilty of all those earlier years, and I just knew I was being punished. I almost forgot about the remaining life within me as I focused on the loss. Why, God? Satan almost destroyed my joy, except that Jesus is greater. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, John 10.10. Later, even though our other precious baby would be fine, I felt such frustration because If we didn't want an only child, we would have to go through another of these uniquely stressful procedures with all the costs, the shots, and the stress leading up to it. Then, once the procedure's over, there's the waiting for that determining ultrasound to give you the news, good or bad. Having a baby can easily become an idol. I had to get over it so I could focus on having a joyful heart for my husband and new son. It was the will of a loving, sovereign God and his comforting presence was very real. Giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Finally the day arrived, and the Lord in his mercy gave us a beautiful, healthy son. My aching arms were filled, and we dedicated him to the King of Kings for his glory. I can't describe the joy and the wonder of it all. We had been married almost 20 years. to vaccines, most mothers and fathers want to know facts, not others' opinions. Jackie wished she had known more facts when she went in for her first well-baby visit. 
Because Jackie strongly promotes parental choice, she felt led to write a short treatise with personal facts. This vaccination ebook is pretty concise to allow you, the parent, to read, research into the studies she shares, and come up with your own decisions. Jackie's sincere desire is that you and your children thrive, and so she presents to you the vaccination ebook free of charge. Simply go to deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. And my doctor said I was jump started with all the hormones. So we did a third GIFT to give our new son a little brother or sister. And much to our surprise and joy, we were blessed with adorable, healthy twins exactly two years later. When I was about to turn 43, we praise God for his abundant grace and mercy. It has been a long road to forgiving myself for assisting in abortions and killing our baby. But I found the Lord has welcoming arms to forgive us when we come to him in repentance. We are sinners, but by his grace we have hope and now can see his guiding hand in it all. Thank you, Lord, for birthing in us new life, spiritually and physically. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. We have been able to share with our children appropriately, through time we hope, the curses that we brought upon ourselves. That has protected them to a large degree, but not totally from repeating the same mistakes which we have made. It's a blessing to tell them of the mighty things that the Lord has done for us, while we were yet in unbelief, and of the restoring power found only in trusting Christ Jesus. Today, we enjoy a rich relationship and normal trials and challenges with each of our children by the grace of Almighty God. I share this with you to encourage and strengthen you that no matter where you find yourself, our gracious God is always at work. Never, never give up hope, dear one. Thanks for joining us on the Deep Roots at Home podcast. We pray it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord and as you serve your family. Could you do us a favor? If this has blessed you, could you help us spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends? And don't forget, we have lots of great links in the show notes that go along with today's podcast. See you next time.